you always want to go out on a bang. So we're going to end this Season 5 of the Bearded Carcast with our thoughts on the Christian McCaffrey trade. I'm Mike Pacheco. He's Dave Friedman. Uh, we're excited to finish up another season. They, they thought it would only last one, Dave. It's been five. And we have a uh, kind of blockbuster news with Christian McCaffrey getting uh, sent to the San Francisco 49ers. Go out big. Christian McCaffrey, 13 <laughs> carries, 69 yards, and no touchdowns as he leaves the Panthers for the 49ers. I don't think it was quite as unexpected and shocking as some national media have made it out to be. If you pay attention to the Panthers, couldn't you kind of see this writing on the wall? Well, it's funny. I had a bunch of people reach out to me last night and, um, you know, hey, what do you think of this? And one of my best friends from back home texted me this morning, Tom Hennessy. He's like, hey, what do you think of I said, this is, I mean, you get... Um, you know, a bunch of draft picks. Obviously, I think it was four total or five total, but you get three added on to this year's draft in 2023 where they were a little bit light. Now, they had four picks, first five rounds, and, of course, their number one pick overall. But now you have seven picks in the first five rounds. I mean, that's – I think Scott Fitter did a terrific job there. And, look, this team at best this year right now is currently constituted before the trade – at best, was going to win five to seven games. That's the best-case scenario. And it probably wouldn't even have been five. Next year, you know, the huge question mark at quarterback. I mean, the, the four guys that they have on the roster right now, you know, do you have any confidence in any one of those guys being a top-10 caliber, top-15 caliber, playoff caliber quarterback? No. I think you had – to me, this was kind of the Bill Wash, Bill Belichick. You know, maybe they got rid of – Christian McCaffrey a year or two too early from a usage standpoint. But I'd rather get rid of him now with what they got than wait a year or two, maybe try to trade him then and not get nearly as much as they got back in return. I I think this was a home run. Okay. I, I disagree with most of that, except I think it was clearly the right move. And I don't think Scott Fitter is an idiot. I think Scott Fitter talked to the handful of teams that were interested and got the best deal he possibly could. I think the deal had to happen immediately because Christian McCaffrey's missed 23 games over the last two years, and if he plays on Sunday, he might get hurt and not be worth anything. That being said, what they got is... I don't know. Stephon Diggs went for a first, fifth, and sixth. Tyree Kill went for a first, second, two fourths, and a sixth. Russell Wilson was worth two firsts, two seconds, and a fifth. Jalen Ramsey was worth two first-round draft picks. Amari Cooper was worth a first-round draft pick. Trent Richardson was worth a first-round draft pick. And you can't get a first-round draft pick for Christian McCaffrey. But that being said, he makes a whole lot of money. You, he, he's clearly not part of the immediate future. You're not going to tie up your cap in a veteran running back who is frequently not particularly healthy. And, and I do think it sets the Panthers up for the offensive rebuild that is necessary. And I, but, I but look at but, the, but here but here but you're talking about a running back who's already five years in and has has had injury problems. I, I, yeah, I mean, he's the I, same I, age as Stephon Diggs and Tyreek Hill. Yeah, but now those are wide receivers. Yeah, it's a different position and a different. Uh, you know, the, the, those guys have had each have had some of their own issues, but I, I don't know for for a running back. 
Five and a half years old. I, I thought they did great. I thought it was a good move. The right so move. I don't know how carefully or closely you look at the Jimmy Johnson trade value chart. I think it's a pretty good gauge. Right now, uh, San Francisco is 500. So just for the sake of argument, let, let's say they have the 16th pick in the draft. Now, I think most people believe the 49ers are going to win and, and maybe win big with McCaffrey. So maybe the pick ends up being the, the 24th or the 26th or, or, or 28th pick, something like that. But, but for a Panthers positive, let, let's say it's the 16th pick. The trade value chart gives a thousand points to the 16th pick. Now they didn't get that first round pick. That would be if they had gotten the 49ers first round pick. If it was number 16, that's right in the middle of the chart. That's a thousand points. Instead, they got their second, third and fourth. That would equate to 697 points on the chart. That would be equivalent to the number 20, I don't know, 27 or 28 pick in the draft. So essentially what they got here is one pick at the very, very end of the first round or what they ended up with, which is, of course, second, third, and fourth. I don't think they got extreme value. I also don't think they had a whole lot of choice. I think he needed to go. They needed to get what they could. I'm certain Fitterer got the best package available. I think the bottom line is Christian McCaffrey, who has missed 23 years, who, like you said, has quite a bit of tread off the tires. He's just simply not worth that much. And the cap relief is probably the biggest prize. Well, and I think it's a signal, right? Because they were just kind of mired in mediocrity. The life of the franchise has kind of been sucked out of it. Um, and now I think it's a clear message that, that it's, you know, it's time to, to, to get going and, and get moving on. And I, I think when you look at coaches coming in here, I mean, obviously somebody that wants to coach bad enough, will, you know, would, would take the job. But I think now having seven picks – Possibly an opportunity to have a, a top three pick in the draft. I mean, obviously we're, we're projecting here that they're not going to win a lot of games, but I don't really see a lot of wins right now. If you can assume that you have, and, and they might be able to flip some of those picks too. Like so, some of the some of the San Francisco picks they might be able to you know maybe use to move up. Yeah. Uh, you know, so I mean it's, it's it's more flexibility. I mean, look, would you have liked to gotten a first round? Absolutely, but I, I think the fact that they kind of built up. Um, you know, and who knows what else is going to happen in the next week or so, right? I mean, well, you make, a, you make a really good point, though, because in addition to getting what you can, you also make your team worse, which you want to do. Because <laughs> right. if you end up with the 10th pick in the draft, you're not going to get one of those top quarterbacks. There's, there's zero question in my mind that the Panthers are drafting a quarterback in the top five picks of the first round, and they're going to do everything they can to make sure they have that pick. They, they, they've gone through Teddy Bridgewater. It didn't work. They've gone through Sam Darnold. It didn't work. They've gone through Baker Mayfield. It didn't work. The starting quarterback, and I don't know if it's going to be week one next year, but the quarterback for most of next year is going to be Ohio State's C.J. Stroud or Alabama's Bryce Young or Will Levis from Kentucky or, or one of these young guys. They are going to draft the franchise quarterback. Now, whether they're going to get that right, whether the guy's going to develop, who, who yeah, knows? Right. But I, I, I would bet anything that they're going to draft a first-round quarterback. I, I, I'd take that to the bank. But think about it this way, right? I mean, even if you have Christian McCaffrey, but you go into this uh, offseason with really no legitimate quarterback, 
maybe you have five to seven wins, and now you're you're pushing you know 10, 11, 12, 13, maybe 14, 15th position in the draft. This be, I think this draft package, the opportunity to rebuild, I think this maybe becomes a little bit more attractive to um, to a candidate depending on what jobs are out there. Yeah, I mean, I, I agree with that. I mean, I think NFL head coaching jobs are hard to come by, and if you're offered one, mostly you take it. But yes, a, a, a job where you have a franchise quarterback, a young quarterback, a quarterback you're going to build around. Now, a lot of these guys don't work out. There, there's no mm-hmm. guarantee, but like at least you can see the writing on the wall. We have a pretty good defense. We're building this new offense. We're building it around quarterback X, I mean, that, that, that makes a great deal of sense. Well, I'm glad I, I, I like to make sense. I, I just, <laughs> I mean, I don't think anyone can jump up and down and say, wow, we got a premium yeah, no, no, return no. for this guy. But, but the point is, he's, he's not fresh and new. He makes a lot of money. He's been injured. And every minute he remains on the roster is another opportunity for him to get injured and not be worth anything. So you could have him for the rest of the year. He steals you a game or two and wins. That doesn't actually help you get a really good draft pick. And then then in the offseason, you still try to trade him. Maybe he's worth roughly the same maybe he's worth a little bit more he's also a year older you've paid him more money etc etc like I I think it was the right decision I guess the other option would be you could have told him your season's over and placed him on IR and and just waited until the end of the year but again you have to pay him for the rest of the year to do that and I don't know that his value in the offseason is any more than it is right now yeah, and I I wasn't trying to oversell this like this was the best trade. You know, I think this was a good solid trade. They got a good return. Um, I think it's been a well, good. You're week. saying it sets them up. Yeah, they're in a better position for 2023 right now than they were 24 hours ago, and, and I think that's right. Absolutely, and I think this is also, um, you know, it, it it sets them up. It's not a big. Um, uh, oh no! I know what I was gonna say. It, this was, I think it's been a good week for Scott Fitter. I mean, you get now granted they were I think sixth and seventh round picks, but after what happened Sunday with Robbie Anderson, you get two draft picks as opposed to just cutting them and getting nothing. And now you you know you, again you're building up assets for down the road, tradable pieces, or you can use them. And that and now you do the same thing. You set yourself up um, going into the offseason. And I think this defense probably Dave still has a couple years left of tread. I mean, there's a lot of young guys on that defensive line, you know, Derek Brown and, you know, Brian Burns. I think there's guys you can, you know, of course you can still draft defensive players to, to fortify that or, you know, get guys in free agency. So what this needs, franchise well, needs is question. hope. What, what right? is the next move? Yeah, it, absolutely. It needs hope. And to me, if you have young guys that you think are part of a core going forward, and I'm thinking primarily guys on the defense, yep. I'm not all that anxious to trade them. But if you have veteran guys that are probably not part of the future, if they're not nailed down, I'm trading them for anything I can get. Robbie (laughs) Anderson's a perfect example of that. He's not worth that much, but something is better than nothing. I see no reason in the world why DJ Moore should be on this roster going forward. And I think DJ's a pretty good player, but I, I don't think... Yeah, I guess he's God. I just looked it up. He's only 25 years old. I mean, in the NFL, you get old so quickly. But like anyone that is not in the immediate time frame, it is not going to help you 
right away with the new quarterback. I, I, I don't know what their value is to staying with you. Maybe more is a bad example, though, because the new quarterback's going to have to throw sure, to somebody. somebody. Right. He's certainly a reliable target. I guess if you could get reasonable value, you do it, and, and if not, you keep them. But in much the same way that McCaffrey could have helped you this year and could have helped you going forward, you're able to bring something back to kind of start over with, I, I would be looking at other veterans in much the same way. I, I completely agree with that. And I, and I think if, if someone knocks you off your, your socks with an offer on DJ Moore, yes. But if not, I, I wouldn't just settle for like a fourth or a fifth round pick for him. I mean, it would have to be something that would be uh, a little more substantial. I think I'd take a fourth round pick. Meh. Meh. I mean, a veteran receiver who... who yeah, I don't know. Yeah, I think I'd take a fourth-round pick. I probably wouldn't take what I got for Robbie Anderson. But no, I mean, that's, no, no. It's interesting that you, you go to a game and you see people wearing jerseys. And, of course, it's the skill position guys that have the jerseys sold. And then you go, wow, that guy's not even worth a first-round draft pick. That guy's not even <laughs> worth a second-round draft yeah. pick. But that, that that's the nature of the business. It, it, the, those first-round draft picks are so valuable because – you don't pay them a whole lot of money. Right. I mean, look look at look at what Buffalo and Minnesota did. Buffalo said we want an established target who we know can be the safety blanket for Josh Allen. They give up a first rounder, a fifth rounder, and a sixth rounder for Stephon Diggs. Mm-hmm. And then they give him an enormous contract. And Minnesota turns around and uses that first round pick on Justin Jefferson. Yeah. Now, there is zero question that Justin Jefferson on a rookie contract is worth far more than Stefan Diggs making a whole lot of money. Oh, yeah. But hitting a home run in the draft like that it is not easy to do. You can yeah, easily you use that, that first-round yeah. draft pick and get a guy that's not good or is right. just a role player a and, and it yeah. doesn't. Yeah. Or a complete dud. So, I mean, it's a little bit rolling the dice. But y- your players that are most valuable are your least expensive players. Because if they are both productive and inexpensive, they're not hurting you in the salary cap. That That's huge. I, I was Absolutely. looking just before we started the podcast. I think Christian McCaffrey counts more against the cap this year than any other running back in the NFL. I, wow. I believe it's 8.5% percent uh, against the cap. And then the, part of that is signing bonus, and they restructured. And, and well, I think a lot of it is signing bonus because I think his actual, his actual salary is not that high comparatively. I think Correct. a lot of it is signing bonus. Yeah, and, and there's a lot of ways to push around money and to yeah. renegotiate and, and all that sort of thing. But the bottom line is, if you look at those running backs, I mean, McCaffrey, Kamara, Ezekiel Elliott, yeah. Dalvin Cook, Derrick Henry, those are the five most percentage of their deals up against the cap this year. You look at the Niners, who just 
acquired McCaffrey. McCaffrey was with Carolina, who wasn't very good. Kamara, New Orleans isn't very good. Ezekiel Elliott's an interesting story because Dallas is pretty good. I think he's the second best running back on the roster at this point. Tony yeah. Pollard is much more explosive. Dalvin Cook and Minnesota are having kind of a okay, pretty good year. But again, Alexander Madison takes up a lot of those carries in Minnesota. And Henry with Tennessee, they're kind of fair average. You're not seeing the, the Buffaloes and the Kansas Cities the, the, the teams that we consider the best teams in the league, Philadelphia, wh- whoever else you want to include in that, uh, having those running backs that make a ton of money. Now, the Vikings are 5-1, and one, but I don't think if you've watched the Vikings week in and week out, and I have, that, that Dalvin Cook has had this incredible season. I mean, they, they use him very much as a a number one A sort of back because hmm. he carries about two-thirds of the time. Madison carries about a third of the time. And Cook is averaging less than five yards a carry. He's having a, a perfectly fine, okay, not spectacular season. I, I think a lot of this trade, what they got back, why he was traded, what he's worth, has to do with that running back position. It, it is just not the case anymore in the NFL where teams are spending a lot of resources and a lot of money on running backs, and you're a little bit up against it if that's where you have a a high percentage of your salary cap invested. What else you got, Dave? What else, what else do you want to talk about here? Um, season-ending well, edition talk- of the Bearded Podcast. Yes, season-ending because the new winter basketball right. season is starting. We've got media day next week. I'm excited to uh, to talk to coaches and kind of get uh, get into the basketball mode of things. No, I want to talk about the, the rest of the NFL. We saw Buffalo play Kansas City over the weekend, and I, I think the game was what we expected. Now, I, I thought that Patrick Mahomes, and I think a lot of people thought at the end of the game with over a minute to go, he was going to go down the field and, and win the game. He didn't do that. Mm-hmm. Buffalo ha- has looked like the best team in the AFC for much of the year. Kansas City is step for step right with them. Who is the next best team in the AFC? Because the AFC was supposed to be stacked. It was supposed right. to be incredible. I mean, by record, the Chargers and the Jets are four and two. And then there's just a, a huge pile of teams that have three wins. If you were to say Buffalo and Kansas City are one and two in some order, probably that order, that there still have to be five other sure. playoff teams. Who are they? Well, that's a terrific question. I mean, do you, do you, just from a historical standpoint, uh, I mean, the Jets are a great story, but can we trust them at this point, right? I don't know the answer to that. Uh, yeah, g- very good question. I mean, and they are, they're such an interesting story, not just the Jets themselves, but who they've beaten. Because yeah. they won at Green Bay last week, and now I'm kind of all over the place. But if you look at the NFC, 
Philadelphia is 6-0, and mm-hmm. and then there are the two 5-1 and one teams, the Giants, who you may or may not trust, and Minnesota, who you may or may not trust. And other than them, the Cowboys are the only other team over 500. Yeah. So, like, the 49ers make the play for McCaffrey. They're in a division where all four teams have three wins. Yeah. So, yeah, yeah. They, they, they need that pop. In the Panthers division, you've got Tampa and Atlanta. They're both three and three. The Saints are two and five, and Carolina is, is one and five. I, I mean, there is a lot of parody. You, you look at the teams that were supposed to be good, though. At the beginning of the year, if I had said— Hold on a minute. Is this the time to say, is this the time to say the obligatory, this is the vision of Pete Rozelle having parody in the league? Well, yeah, and and there, there's something to that. I mean, at the beginning of the year, if I had said, who are the two best teams in the AFC, we would have identified the two teams that are at the top of the yeah, AFC. Yeah, I would have said Kansas City and we Buffalo. we would have said yeah. it's very, very deep. So mm-hmm. the, those two teams have played to four. Well, Baltimore and, and Tennessee and have kind of, of underperformed. Wouldn't you agree? Baltimore has had double-digit leads in a bunch of games that they've failed to hold. Yeah. They had that... Big lead over Miami they failed to hold. They had a significant lead over the Bills they failed to hold. Same thing last week with the Giants. So it seems like they're close. Mm-hmm. They're not able to close out games. Yeah, Tennessee, they're an interesting test case because they started 0-2 and now they're 3-2. and I'm not sure how good the team's they've beaten are but those losses now look pretty good one point to the giants and and against the bills i I think tennessee is probably pretty good or fine but the nfc is the one that you go whoa because the teams that were supposed to be good green bay's three and three tampa bay is three and three the 49ers and the rams Rams are three three, are three and three Meanwhile, the the NFC East, the Eagles, the Giants, and the Cowboys are are all rolling along. Mm -hmm. When you look at Green Bay and Tampa Bay, it would be my guess that one of those teams is going to make a deep playoff run, even though they have not been very good to this point. Right. Do you have? Well, yeah, I mean, everyone in the league has a chance yeah. to figure it out. It, it, we're only six weeks in. It, it You can't overreact. It's a long, long season. No, but when you but, have Tom Brady and Aaron Rodgers, uh, I think you get a little bit more leeway than if you're another team in a similar position. I mean, those guys have preferred that being it. said, That being said, Green Bay has lost home games to yeah. the Giants and Jets in back-to-back weeks. Winning teams with winning I, I mean, records. That is they, they are teams with winning records, but at the beginning of the year, they would have been heavy oh, favorites totally. Absolutely. Over, yeah. over both of those teams. Right. Like if we went I mean, through their if we went through their schedule in August, we would have put those as two wins for the Packers. No question. Yep. Now, I think Tampa Bay has played a really difficult schedule. They, they beat the Cowboys. Yeah. They beat the lousy Saints. And then losses to, to the Packers and the Chiefs are no big deal. They beat the Falcons. But the loss at Pittsburgh last week was sort of stunning. Well, no doubt about it. I mean, obviously, you figured uh, the way Pittsburgh was going that that was going to be a Tampa Bay win. But, you know, it's been interesting. This, for me, is is the season that Tom Brady's had. And... It started in the preseason when he took the time off, and now there's, you know, um, some marital discord. How is that affecting him, a guy that seemingly you would say never had or was able to handle distractions, losing to a team like Pittsburgh, which I think everybody thought going into that game that 
you know, that was probably penned in as a Tampa Bay win. Yeah, I just, I've thought most of the year Tampa Bay has played really good defense. Their offense has been weak. Right. I think they've given up something like the the second or third fewest points in the NFC. I, I mean, their, their defense is uh, maybe not elite or amazing, but it, it's pretty darn good. But their offense to this point has been pedestrian at best. Yeah, I agree with that. Surprisingly so. That being said, I think they're going to be in the playoffs, and I don't think anyone's going to want to play them in the playoffs. And if you said who is going to beat Tampa Bay in the playoffs, here are the options, the Eagles, Giants, or Cowboys, I'm just not sure I would get there. Like if you told me the Bucs are going to play a playoff game in New York, who do you like? I'm probably going to like Tampa Bay. Yeah. Probably, I would, yeah, you would, you would, I mean, yeah, I mean, the Eagles have been a great story. The Eagles kind of remind me a little bit of like the 2015 Carolina Panthers. In what way? Well, I mean, I think the way that Jalen Hurts is playing, um, I think that the defense is pretty good. I mean, I'd still like to see more before I say it's a full comparison, but I just think, uh, I mean, I've always been a huge Jalen Hurts fan, so I love, love seeing what he's doing in Philadelphia. Yeah. I mean, they have played terrific football. And after watching them beat the Cowboys last week without Dak Prescott, I wondered if those were the two best teams in the NFC. For what it's worth, uh, I'm looking at the Massey Peabody rankings, the analytic rankings of NFL teams, and they use a lot of priors. They use a lot of numbers from last year because what we've seen this year is a small sample size. Their NFC power rating as of today is Tampa Bay, Dallas, San Francisco, Philadelphia. So the unbeaten Eagles, they have currently as the fourth Fourth. best NFC team, and they have the Eagles behind the Cowboys who Philadelphia beat last Mm. week. Just... Just, just a point of reference, just yeah. something to kind of to chew on. And yeah. I think the big message there is very simply what we've seen so far is great and important, but it, it's a small sample size, and, and there's a lot of football to be played. There's a lot of football left, Dave. There's a lot of football left. A lot left. of football left to be played, my friend. Any thoughts on college football? We haven't talked a ton about college football. I have thought from an entertainment value standpoint this year, it has been really, really strong. That game in Knoxville last week, I only saw some of the fourth quarter and the end, but I mean, that's what makes college football great, the atmosphere. And it seems to me, even if you think Georgia and Ohio State maybe are better than everyone else, the talk of the expanded playoff, and there was news mm-hmm. this morning that they're zeroing in on expanding for 2024. The number of teams, like last week's game, Alabama and Tennessee, in the current system, that game doesn't mean that much in the sense that Alabama can still run the table and make the playoff. Tennessee is in great position, but they're going to need to either win out or, or win out and lose just one more game to make the playoff next year or the year after when there's an expanded playoff, they're both likely to make it, Mm -hmm. but because the way they're going to do it, it very well may mean last week's game was 
Tennessee's going to get a home game. Alabama's going to have to play a road game. Yeah. Tennessee's going to get a bye. Things like that. Do you feel, I remember talking to a friend of ours, this is probably six, eight years ago. He was the only person I knew who liked the old format, who didn't want any sort of playoff or any sort of expansion. And he said the problem was it would ruin the regular season. And while I don't agree with that, it's kind of interesting because once upon a time, last week would have ended Alabama's season, and now they can very much still make the playoff. And looking forward, they would both almost be foregone conclusions to still make the playoff. Yeah, I, I don't know if I go that far. Um, you know, I, I think everyone's. You know, the, one of the big things to any change is always, well, it's going to ruin the regular season. And yeah, there is some cases where you could see that happening, but you know, you still, you know, you you, don't, you never want to lose games, right? So, and I understand that there's an importance on you know winning certain games, and of course, in a smaller playoff, it makes more sense, right? If you have one loss, it puts you in jeopardy, no matter who you are. Uh, except maybe in the SEC. Uh, but getting back to the games this weekend, I mean, I, I watched um, – we were over at a friend's house, and uh, I was watching the Tennessee-Alabama game. And that, I mean, it looked like Alabama could be on the ropes, and all of a sudden it's a tie game, and they were going back and forth, and Alabama's up. looks like Alabama's got a chance to win. And then uh, it was that, – that was, that was a fun game. But that is what you said, Dave. I mean, it's college football at its best. It's that environment. And, you know, Tennessee – uh, even though the last couple of years they've been down overall, um, you know, that's a team, and the ratings reflect this, right? The, the, they're one of those teams that when they're good, it's it's good for college football. And, you know, and they took Alabama to the wire and they beat Alabama. Alabama. Um, yeah, I, look, that's a it's a storied program, and it's I'm not a huge Tennessee fan, but it's I think when they're good, it's good for college football. Yeah, there are a lot of teams like that. I just the, the atmosphere of a college football game is better than an NFL game, and it's not particularly close. It's the band, it's the cheerleaders, it's a hundred thousand. Well, it's a different, people, a totally it's different tailgate. experience. Yeah, it's a completely different experience. The NFL is much better football, but college football has the environment and right. the pomp and circumstance, and you can say we because people are alumni of individual schools, and, and there's something neat and fun and cool about that, and I feel like college football has had just a ton of really good games this year. Now, in the end, it's probably going to come down to those same handful of teams yeah. that it tends to come down to, and maybe Tennessee's going to crash that party, but but it's probably Georgia, Ohio State, maybe Michigan, yeah. maybe Clemson, you know, something along those lines. But I'm excited to watch Oregon and UCLA this week, and I'm excited to watch uh, Clemson and Syracuse this week. And it's, I think college football is having a, a good year. I'm interested to see. Are you dialed in on the, the BC Wake Forest game? Well, I think Dave Clawson's one of the most underappreciated coaches in the country. So I, I have a very soft spot for Wake Forest, and, and I think he's just done a, a tremendous job there. BC, uh, probably not as as honed in on uh Well, I only mentioned that because no, our friend no. John Mitterprell is uh, going to be in Winston-Salem this week. BC. Yeah, uh, I know yeah. that uh, I, I know that Jeff Halfley had a good year or two. I don't think this has been particularly good they lost bad at clemson last week i, I, I don't know they have a tough maybe stretch won. for bc like they just haven't been able to get over the hump you know they, they 
you know, they kind of had that tough old, place to win. It is a tough place to win. Yeah, it is a tough place to win. And, and the ACC, I think the ACC is much, much improved because I think NC State is pretty good. I think Wake Forest is pretty good. We know Clemson is good. Florida State is not maybe what they used to be, but they're they're solid. Syracuse is having their best year in a long time. And yeah, Virginia Tech is down, and Virginia isn't particularly good. I mean, in a big league, you're always going to have, yeah, you're going to have the that. But, up, but yeah. I mean, trying to crack the top of, of that league is tough. Before we go, Mike, yeah. uh, th- there continues to be a lot of talk about expanding the NCAA tournament. And we'll we'll get way more into basketball um, next week and going forward as Winthrop begins the season. There was an interesting note, I think it was by Ken Palm, about the percentage of total Division I teams that go to the NCAA tournament because the number of teams has gone Mm -hmm. way up. And, And I think... Once upon a time, it, it was somewhere in the neighborhood of 20%, and now it's closer to 10%. And all of the the basketball traditionalists, and I'm one of them. I mean, I, I love the 64-team tournament or the 68-team tournament. And if I was given a vote, which I'm not, I, I certainly would not be for expanding the tournament. That being said, by percentage basis it would make a great deal of sense to add teams because, you know, now that we're over 350 teams, why wouldn't you have 75 teams or or something in the tournament? I I don't have a problem with – I saw that too, the 25% number. Um, And I think that would add, what, 20 teams, right? Is that what you said? Um, Something around there. But my my thing is this. If you're going to do that, and I'm okay with that, but – and I don't know how you necessarily do this, but I think you have to make sure you provide that some of those or a good number of those spots are going to go to the Cinderella type team. The teams that earned a right maybe just fell a little bit short of a mid-major size. And, you know, and, and, you know we've had this discussion before. Um, I don't want to see uh, a barely 500 in the league um, power five school that's won 20 wins because they bought a bunch of games playing, um, taking the spot of you know, a team that, you know, maybe, uh, you know, won their regular season, but uh, in a one-bid league, a tournament-quality team, but didn't win their conference tournament. I think if you give some of those teams opportunities, I'm okay with it. But if it's just going to be, you know, 10, 11 teams from the from the ACC, you know, I, that, that, that's not the – like, that. those teams necessarily aren't the Cinderella in my eyes. Yeah, I mean, my sense of it would be – you would have the same automatic bids you always have had. You would have some buys at the top of the bracket, and you would get more at-large teams. If you go to the bracket matrix or bracketology or, or one of those sites, the teams that just missed the NCAA tournament last year are a mix. It's a Texas A&M from the SEC and a Wake Forest from the ACC, but it's also... SMU from the American and Xavier from the Big East and, and you know, kind of a, a mix of those teams. You might get a North Texas or a Dayton or a Utah State or a Belmont, and you're also probably going to get, you know, Virginia or Washington State or or 
uh, one of those type teams, Oklahoma. Yeah. So I, I think I think it would be a mix. And and yeah, I'm not. I'm never that worked up about the first four out because if you can't play yourself into a 68 team bracket, do you deserve to go? But from a percentage basis, if the sport is continuing to grow, if Major League Baseball or the NFL expanded to 40 teams and then they added a couple of playoff teams, wouldn't that seem appropriate? Yeah, no, I, I get it from that standpoint. I, I'm just, but, I, you know, I've, I've already made my point. I don't need to kill it into the ground. I just, I think as long as some of those teams go to teams that represent the flavor of the tournament are in, great. But, I, again, I don't want to see, you know, a, a, a a lower mid-level power five school get in um, over, you know, a team that, you know, you're going to root for, like, for instance, I mean, if let's say this was the case back in 2007, right? 2006, 2007. Let's say Winthrop loses that, that team was a tournament quality team. They may have gotten in anyway. Right. But if they I don't were, think they would have gotten in, but with the new one, maybe they would have. Right. And if, and, but as long as there's allowances for that, I'm, and I don't know, again, I don't know what the metrics is. I don't know if it's bracketology, but I think that the committee would have to be rec, uh, cognizant of some of the mid-major, lower, lower mid-major teams that would provide that atmosphere. Now, do you make, now, let me ask. Yeah. Let me ask you this. Last year, Kentucky lost to St. Peter's. Under a new system, Kentucky would probably have a bye. And a lot of those low major teams, the teams that were the 16 seeds, the the Bryants, the Texas Southerns, the Cal State Fullertons, the Longwoods, they might have played a first round game, been out of the bracket by the time they had an opportunity to play a Kentucky. If Kentucky no longer has to play a 16 or what would now be the new 16 and 18 or what, what, whatever it would be, do you lose something? Does, does the buy for the first however many teams, 16 teams or so, does that hurt the tournament? Because you don't get, I mean, you would never again have the opportunity for UMBC to beat Virginia. It would have to be someone that won a playing game or a first round game. And now they're playing the number one overall. Well, let me ask you this. Um, Would it be a situation? And obviously, you know, we haven't had a chance to dig into the brackets and the math on this, but would it be a case of the number one seed or the high or the teams that get the bit, the get buys, would they like, for instance, let's say Thursday, Saturday, would they, get Thursday off and then play their first game on Saturday or would it be, would they go skip right into the next round? Well, I don't know how they'd structure it. I mean, because what I'm thinking, no, but, think but here me have out. a buy on Thursday, Friday. I think you'd have to play games either for an extra weekend or have many, many more games played on Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, yeah. probably Tuesday, Wednesday. Yeah, I'd, I mean, you probably play playing games Tuesday and Wednesday. They feed into the Thursday, Friday that we're so, so be, used there'd be more to. games on the like the first four type of situation. I mean, I, I'm just guessing, but yeah, I mean, if if you have a buy all the way into Saturday, that doesn't that 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 doesn't really 
Yeah. It doesn't make the, the numbers don't add up. You're, you have to have more games if you have more teams. If you have a buy in a Saturday, then you're going to have to play games, you know, the following Tuesday or Wednesday or something. So, yeah, I think you would need to either have an extra weekend or more likely there would just be a ton more games, more games. on that first Tuesday yeah. and Wednesday. Yeah. That's interesting. I, I, I mean, I don't, I don't know. know. I, I would, I think from an equity standpoint, um, I think that 25% number is fair, you know, move up to, so that more participation and look, it's more eyeballs, it's more, more fan bases getting an opportunity to get in there. I just, I don't want to lose the, I just don't want to lose that Cinderella type thing with like the St. Peter's. I, I agree. I, I agree. You don't want to lose the Cinderella. I don't like that. Now the top four, the top six, the top eight, the top 16 don't have to play that first round game. I like that, you know, the UMBC can happen, and we dreamed of that for so long, mm -hmm. and then it came to fruition. And I also really don't like if you're a play-in team, now you have to win potentially three games in six days yeah, yeah. to go to the Sweet 16. Yeah, yeah. So the, the, the Saturday or the Sunday, potentially you're playing a team who's only played twice you're playing a third time maybe in a different venue though i would guess you would keep them Close. in the same yeah. venues like you you're making the road to the sweet 16 a lot more difficult for the bottom 16 teams or whatever the number is going to be in the bracket those teams already are up against it this makes it that much more hard indeed it does Indeed, it does. Any other final but, thoughts? But Dave? from a percentage stamp, from a percentage standpoint, I, I, like I get the argument. I mean, you, you're going to make more revenue if you're the NCAA if you have more teams. And when you had 250 teams to have 64 teams in, and now to have 350 teams and still have 64 teams in or 68 teams in, I, I mean, the numbers do suggest that that it, it's due to go up. I just don't think any of us want that to happen. But I, but I get it. No. No, 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 no more thoughts. Looking forward to basketball. Looking forward to uh, you and I are going to get an opportunity to talk to uh, Winthrop's uh, new president, Dr. Ed Cernan, next week. I'm looking forward to that. And yeah, I'm fun. looking forward to the new season of the Bearded Carcast. Yeah. I mean, it's, you know, normally we have more of a layoff in between seasons. We're really working ourselves to the bone this year, but uh, it's been a, a fun season five. And um, the we... number of episodes we've done does not suggest <laughs> no, that. It does not. Well, we, we kind of. You know, we had good load management over the summer. <laughs> yes, we, we, we're no longer a new young podcast. We're, we're more of an aged veteran podcast. So. Yeah, we definitely had some load management going on over the summertime. So. No, it's going to be fun. And, um, you know, the first stop is going to be in State College, PA, and that's going to be uh, November 7th. And uh, if you have any suggestions, we've already, we've already kind of started a loose outline of things we want to see. We're not going to have a lot of time in State College, uh, but there's a lot of interesting things going on around campus and in town, so if you have any suggestions on that, we also have uh, LSU coming up, and Duquesne, and Auburn. Um, we went to uh, Coomer's uh, Corner, uh, Tumor's Corner uh, in Auburn last time we were there, and we went to a really good barbecue place, so if you have any suggestions, beardedcarcast at outlook.com, and you can also email the pod at, uh, well, that's how you email the pod, you can also follow us along on Twitter, at beardedcarcast.com is how you follow us along on Twitter. We'll talk to you next week. All right, sounds good. For season six, the premiere, season six, we're going to roll out the red carpet. <laughs>